Welcome to the Sidious Mag Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Chavez. The Sidious Mag Podcast is presented by Garmin. This is a sponsor and product that I use daily. Garmin has released its latest round of Forerunner GPS running watches, and there's plenty to be excited about. The newest watches include the Forerunner 255, 255 Music, 255S, 255S Music, Forerunner 955, and Forerunner 9055 Solar. The Forerunner 255 family is the upgrade from the super popular 245. It's got all of your favorite functions from the previous edition and more battery life, Garmin Pay, and some cool features including a multi-band GPS, race day widget, and a morning report. So let's start with the multi-band GPS. This means that there's two signals from satellites coming down onto your watch to improve the GPS tracking so that your runs are more accurate with measuring the distance run and the pace that you're going at. The map also looks super clean once it shows up on Strava and Garmin Connect, so it shows that you're on the sidewalk and not in the middle of the ocean on those waterfront runs in the middle of the summer. The race day widget connects with the Garmin Connect mobile app and gives you a countdown to the number of days until your next race. It's got a pace pro feature that helps you stay on goal pace and factors in the race course if you load it onto the watch. They've got a projected race day weather forecast, and if you're up for it, they'll even suggest some workouts on what you should do for your next run to get you ready to hit your goals. It's fun and easy to get on your watch screen. The morning report is brand new and similarly gives you the day's weather, what you've got on your calendar for the day, and a recovery score that's pulled from your heart rate variability so you know how fresh you may feel for that day's run or workout and how you slept the previous night. For my triathletes out there, there's also a new triathlon mode so you can bike, swim, and run all during the same activity while logging your transition times. Take a look down at your wrist. You may have had that thing for a while. Treat yourself and upgrade today. Visit Garmin.com. And listeners, I have an update for you. Garmin has launched its summer sale. The Forerunner 255 Music is on sale for $399.99. They're also running sales on previous models of the Forerunner series this summer. So check those out today at Garmin.com. A moment now to shout out all of the supportive listeners that helped make this show possible. Many thanks to everyone who has backed us on Patreon. It seems like we've picked up several new followers, fans, and backers since the World Championships. You can catch all of our work from Eugene on YouTube, this podcast feed, Instagram, Twitter, and our newsletter. Our Patreon backers played a pivotal role in helping make all of it happen. So thanks everyone who has signed up in the past two weeks. I'd name you all, but it just takes way too long, and I'm sure everyone wants to get to this interview. If you want to join the loyal legion of backers that keep us going strong, sign up today at patreon.com slash Mag. On Patreon, you can donate anything from a dollar a month, and we even have some people who contribute 20 bucks a month. This all helps with travel, on-location coverage planning, editing, and so much more across all the different Sidious Mag shows. For those of you who are unable to commit to a monthly contribution, you can also make a one-time donation by sending any dollar amount over to Sidious Mag on Venmo. Consider Venmo like a virtual tip jar. We had a bunch of people chip in and send some tips on Venmo. Again, way too many people to name, but I appreciate the generosity. And last but not least, I'm grateful for all of you who take a moment to shout out the podcast on your Instagram stories and on Twitter. If you enjoy the episode or have a big takeaway, let us know. And if you haven't already done so, consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes' Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Thanks, everyone, for your support. What you're about to hear is one of the many interviews that we recorded on Sidious Mag Live during the 10 days of the World Championships. It was our daily show on YouTube where we kicked back and chatted with some of the biggest athletes and personalities from the sport in our own backyard in Eugene, Oregon. If you want to watch the video for this interview, I've included it within our show notes. You can also find a whole playlist of the Sidious Mag Live shows on our YouTube channel. Be sure to subscribe on there because we're planning to do more of these in the future at other major meets and events. So on behalf of me, my co-host Kyle Merber and John Anderson, as well as my producer, Mac Fleet, thank you for listening. All right, and now we are joined by New York Times bestselling author, revisionist history podcast host, Legacy of Speed podcast host. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And the guy who kicked my ass in a mile last year, Malcolm Gladwell. Thanks for joining us here on Sidious Mag Live. My pleasure. So first time in Eugene, right? So what have you made right. of the, the first couple hours in, in Tracktown, USA, where you're just surrounded like track nerds like us? Why did I not come to college here? It's <laughs> like this is like runner's heaven. What was I doing, you know, anywhere else? That was my first my first thought. It's um, not always like this. <laughs> no, I but you know, but I but I was struck you can clearly tell the people who are here for the 
world championships. But then you can also see like dozens and dozens of people who are clearly residents just out running. I mean, this is running heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was complaining uh, just before we got on the podcast that, you know, the trail here really, it, it's itchy and, you know, it's soft. It's nice. It, it's an acquired ability, I think, to really train in Eugene, but you, I'm sure you would have been fine on it. I would. No, no. This is like, this. the idea of, of devoting some portion of your life to just enjoying running, which is, you could do if you come here. Is days. there a bucket list thing that you have to do in Eugene before, like, have you seen Priest Rock? If I will, if I were not injured, I would love to have gone for a long run on Priest Trail. That you know, that's been a dream of mine for. I'm actually, unlike you guys, old enough to remember Pre. <laughs> you, he's. He, I don't even sure you guys. I were watched born. Without Limits <laughs> as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, he's legit. He might even be. He, I'm barely older. I'm barely younger than him. You know. So he's he's. Uh, when I was actually a young runner, he was actively running. That's how old I am. So quick update, you mentioned being injured. I can't believe how many questions both you and I have probably fielded about a possible rematch between the two of us in a a mile. I mean, just the discussion of that mile has gone on for way too long. I kind of hate it now. Yeah, People people stop me on the street. I was in, um, I was like somewhere in Europe. Some guy comes up to me and says, wait, you're the dude who... You know, you're the dude who took down Chris Chavez, and the, <laughs> <laughs> it's like I forget where I was. It was, I, it was just like so. In, it was like completely out of context. It was fantastic. So the way we grow the sport is just have me in the <laughs> Olympic trials, and everyone who beats me would end up being a global superstar. Yeah, at least in Europe. <laughs> yeah. So uh, injured, no running for for a bit. So we're postponing this rematch at least to 2023. Yeah, I'm I'm down for 2023. Um, absolutely. Do we want to toy? Do we want to make it a half mile? An 800. Well, I don't know if that helps or hurts, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd be down for, for a half mile. I think. We'll, we'll see if I can break three minutes tomorrow in the media 800 <laughs> here uh, in Eugene. So, yeah, totally. I hope you get back. You're in love with the elliptigo. Uh, I am, according I'm, to an elliptigo I'm an elliptigo convert. Um, anyone who listens, I will go on and on and on about how amazing it is. Um, I wish I'd known about it 20 years ago. It Basically, it's... The, you know, I had this long-standing aversion to cycling. I'll denounce cycling, even though I do a lot of cycling. I just think it's the stupidest thing. The person who designed bicycles, it's a sport that is completely revolves around the idea that you have to suffer in order to get exercise. This might be the hottest take that <laughs> we've had yet. Even, even the Canadian Mike Woods just want to stage sub four-minute miler. We're out on cycling completely. It's, it is the most... And everyone who cycles... It's 90% about the gear. Like, all they talk about is the gear. They don't even talk about cycling. They just talk about, like, how much their bicycle weighs, how much it costs, where, which Rafa store they got their $7,000 singlet. Like, the whole, it's just the most absurd um, exercise. And also, you know, legit one in every hundred cyclists dies at some point during their cycling career. So it's like, I have no, I've, I have no idea why this, why this sport is somehow this kind of, you know, cool in thing for people to do and running is not. This, we, is, the, this is the clip that's going to light yeah, up your like, mentions. Yeah. We did not discuss this in the pre-recording. I also do not endorse <laughs> that at all. No, but elliptical <laughs> solves all of the cycling problems. Big elliptical, you know, they're the ones who are funding yeah. you to say such a no, thing. No, 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 yeah. funding. I paid. I paid a hundred percent of the cost of my elliptigo, and I. Uh, it solves all the biking problems. You can go out for two and a half hours. You have no soreness. Your butt's not killing you. Your back's not about to like go out. You're not going to die because you're going two thirds the speed. You're, you're taller wheels. than the car. You're taller than the car. You're not clipped in. You're two and in- three inches from the ground. I mean, the whole thing is superior. It's like think about it this way. If if we go back to when the bicycle was invented, if instead of inventing the bicycle, they had invented the elliptigo, so it's like the, whatever it is, the 18th century, if they'd started with the elliptigo, the bike would be this like weird, it's like, I saw some guy, it's all hunched over and it's really dangerous. Why would they do that? Everyone would be like, why are we not, why is not the elliptigo the kind of, it's one, of, it's just a timing problem. Jeff Karen would be on our podcast, like denouncing the elliptigo in this scenario. We'd be switched around. That's right. yeah. You know, the Tour de France would be on ellipticos. And then there'd be a weird moving out of California to do this whole kind of. There's, thing. There is a world championships for the elliptigo. I know, I'm aware of that. This yeah. is like a revisionist history, like an alternative history to 
But it's the Tour de France. You know, it doesn't replace running, but it supplements it in a beautiful way. Anything that gets you outside instead of being in the pool. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. I, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think the the only thing that I would hate more than to be a swimmer is to be a parent of a swimmer who has to drop oh. the kids off at the pool at 5 a.m. on a yeah. Tuesday morning. So no swimming Kyle, for Alicia. <laughs> yeah. You and I are both in the same boat. We have children of babies of babies basically the same age. Queuing up at the, the New York State meet 18, <laughs> or I guess probably we, 14, 15 years from now. Just, we have a standing bet 15 years from now. We both have daughters, and the standing bet is who wins. In the, It's got to be... We haven't set the distance, but maybe we should let our daughters have some say in this. <laughs> That's very kind of us, yeah. And even if they want to do a field event, we'll allow such a thing. But I, I, even though you are 10 to 15 times better runner than I am, um, I'm still hopeful because uh, my uh, partner is is where I... I was going to say, it's not, just, it's not just the dad's genes know, involved here. I'm, I'm banking heavily on the genetic input. <laughs> Of the mother in this case, I'm irrelevant. It's yeah. really her. You know, Patricia. You know, she came. She, she she ran in college. She came over for the, <laughs> to the did. states on a scholarship. That's why we met. What's, give me some give me some PRs for Patricia. <laughs> she, yeah, she's gonna be furious. All right. <laughs> she ran 34.20 for 10k in Central Park. It's probably her best. Oh wow. 27.0 yeah, in they, Central Park for 8k. Yeah. She's going to be so mad that we're discussing this right so, now. So, uh, Kate. So she can move. Kate was a 54.400 meter. So we're coming at different angles. I know. That's why this makes me think that this should be 800 meters. First child, <laughs> Speedy Edie, right? Is that Speedy Edie is her. <laughs> or, or Alicia to win a, a New York State title. What's what's on the line? <clears throat> No, I mean, <laughs> I'll go for an elliptical ride, and you can come for a bike ride. Lifetime supply of tracksmith kit yeah. for the kid. Okay, yeah. I think that's what it is. Matt, are you down for this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not even going to bring up the fact that I am clearly decked out in Columbia colors for good reason. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he joked about. Uh, Wait, I have one last question. Okay, yeah, yeah. About uh, is it Alicia? Alicia. Alicia. Um, what, so right now, not walk, but there's crawling. She crawled the first day I got here. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. What do you? What have you observed about speed of crawling? Do you see? Well, I haven't observed anything. I've been in <laughs> Eugene, got, but, but you've got videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, have, you, have you clocked it at all yet, or are you? She's at form? a she's a fast learner. What started as just a couple like light crawls now. Yeah. I, we're, we're bringing in the jail, the cage. Oh, yeah. We, so we, we, we got to keep track. You, now I think you you blink and she's on the other side of the room. Yeah. Speedy Edie <laughs> is living up to her. By the way, the reason the reason I lobbied heavily and successfully that she, my daughter should be called Edie was because I wanted to exclusively call her Speedy. Because I thought I could, I could plant this idea from day one that she should, that movement quickly was the, the aim of movement, right? <laughs> yeah. So Speedy is living up to her crawling is a sensation. When did she start crawling? Probably uh, six weeks ago. Oh, she's a, ahead of no, Lisa. no, but she's older. She's older. Oh, okay, she's older. Yeah, but there, the form is spectacular. <laughs> I mean, uh, Centuritesque. <laughs> yeah, that's right. she, uh, just, uh, I'm very, very excited at this point. See, I wanted to call our daughter Alicia because she's an Irish citizen, and when she eventually, you know goes over and runs for Ireland in the Olympics, even yeah. though she is, you know, living and growing up in America, I wanted to like, you know, keep keep the the, the potential hate for an American yeah. coming over, you know, at bay. I love so the, the strong Irish name. I love that you've already lined up the small country where it's easier to make the Olympic team. Uh, maybe now, but 18 years from now, Ireland is going to be top notch. Really? Don't worry. Yeah. Well, Speedy Edie is technically, uh, she has several options. She is English. That's not happening, right? <laughs> uh, there's Canada, but Canada's our Middle Eastern's power yeah, right now. Yeah. Here's uh, she. Uh, she's um, mother's Jewish, so we can do right of return to Israel. The Maccabi Games. What country is easier to make the Olympic team in Middle Distance than Israel? I mean, this has <laughs> got to be the easiest. <laughs> this is like, you ever looked at the Israeli uh, national records? Well, the marathon national record on the women's side is very good now, thanks to Sal Peter. But uh, <laughs> but in general, yeah, yeah, no. They're not mm -hmm. overwhelming. Um, wait, and then Jamaica potential, or now we going to? So I don't know what, how, how many the how many rules? passports is one individual so allowed many. to have and not be named so, Jason Bourne. So many, <laughs> yeah. so I don't know how Jamaican nationality rules work. So her her grandmother is Jamaican, her father is English, her mother is American, and 
Jewish American, and then there's the Canada thing. I have a Canadian passport. So I maybe she can go in all those directions. I think it's a game time decision for her <laughs> about which country is the most is the easiest national team to make. Whoever is going to pay up the most, whatever federation. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I mean, if we want to bring this back to running, because I know this was not the direction Chris had intended this podcast. No, to it's go. fun. Um, I'm having fun. Well, something you know, we saw in Ireland and other s- small countries, you know, with the world rankings, where athletes are ranked inside the bubble and then not being selected because they're deemed, you know, maybe not competitive enough actually yeah. arriving at the world championship. So that could also be a factor. I hate the ranking system. I can go on all day. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I told Seb that I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. The Sidious Mag podcast is also brought to you by Article One. Article One is an independent eyewear brand on a mission to create athletic sunglasses that transcend sport. As runners, the designers behind Article One had never found a pair of technical sunglasses that matched their style. So, they decided to make their own. Designed with your entire day in mind, Article 1 takes you from a long run in the morning to drinks on the patio to wind down in the evening. They're timeless silhouettes paired with technical components like adjustable silicone nose pads, polarized lenses, and spring hinges create running sunglasses that stand alone. I run in Article 1's park frames in amber on my runs in Central Park. They're perfect for the summer with polarized lenses that block out 100% of UVA and UVB rays. When you're going fast, you hate when sunglasses start to slip or bounce around. That's no problem due to those silicone nose pads, which adjust to any size. They also have ends that wrap around the ears for that little bit of extra grip. I also just rock these walking around the city and sitting poolside. They don't look like your typical running sunglasses. They've got the look of the type of sunglasses you'd pick up in a store in Soho. It's been a long time coming, but Article 1 just released their newest evolution of their active frames. Say hello to Clifford, the H, Baron, Emmeline, and Moon. Article 1 is offering 20% off to Sidious Mag listeners with code Sidious at checkout. Go to Article 1, that's O-N-E, eyewear.com, and enter Sidious at checkout to save 20% today. Back to the show we go. So he kind of joked about... uh, a revisionist history episode on the bicycle. But I think a lot of people for a while had been asking you, it's like, when are you going to do one on running? When are you going to do one on running? And now to kind of tie in legacy of speed, you finally have come out with a podcast. Way to bring it back. Track and field. Yeah. To rescue it from a discussion (laughs) of our daughters. Um, Yes. So yeah, no legacy of speed for the longest time I've wanted to do. I did one revisionist history on running. Um, in part, remember about the, oh, the golf, golf courses, courses in yeah. Los Angeles. But the first pure running one, yeah, this Legacy of Speed thing, which has been so fantastic, um, which is this podcast we did with uh, Tracksmith um, that's about the iconic 1968 Mexico Olympic Games photograph. The, that Tommy Smith and John Carlos on the victory stand of the 200 with their fists raised and black socks and no shoes and heads bowed during the national anthem. And it's the story behind that photograph. And it is an amazing story. I knew I'm a, you know, I'm about as serious a track fan as you could be. I would, I think I knew maybe 10% of that story before, wow. before we started. Um, and uh, so it was, it's a kind of, we just walk you through, you know, the fact that first of all, everyone's from San Jose state, which is so strange. San Jose state, um, is the greatest track and field program in the world in the 1960s. I mean, it's this school that commuter school and their sprinting program, they have, I think there's, I've forgotten exactly how many world records were held by San Jose State runners in the late 50s and 60s, but it's an astonishing long list. And all those guys at the 68 games, Lee Evans, who sets the world record in the 400 meters, and Tommy Smith, who sets the world record in the 200 meters, and John Carlos, who gets, a, who gets a bronze medal in the 200, they're all on the same track team at San Jose State. They all the same coach. It's this incredible, you know, we, we talk endlessly about John Wooden at UCLA in that era as being this, this extraordinary moment where one coach, what was happening at San Jose State is the equal, if not this, the superior to that. Something that I really like you, you know, kind of opening up the and talking about in the podcast is that balance of amateurism in college mm-hmm. sports and the professional world and the Olympics. And I feel like what's happening in college sports today is really relevant and tied into that conversation because, you know, 
you tell the story of how little these athletes were living on. And meanwhile, they're the best athletes in the entire world scraping yeah. by to even just get a pair of shoes. Yeah. Yeah. The, the podcast has a villain um, who really is a, I mean, he's a Bond villain. Yeah. It's Avery Brundage, Sebco's predecessor, the, man, the man who really builds the modern Olympic movement and who is a, in every way, a despicable human being. There's not a single, he does not have a single redeeming quality. <laughs> He is like a racist, sexist, troglodyte who, you know, he's the guy who goes over to Nazi Germany in 36 to say, to give the okay, to say, actually, they're not that bad. I heard he got there by bike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And he, so he's around, he dominates. The modern Olympics are really built by this guy, Avery Brundage, who takes over the games after the 40s and runs the games through the 70s, through the Munich games. And he has a, excuse me, he has a commitment, an obsessive commitment to amateurism, which does not simply mean in his mind that a, an Olympic athlete cannot take any money for what they do. It also means that they must remain outside of, um, they have to confine themselves to sports. They can't speak to politics. The minute he saw any athlete trying to participate in any broader conversation in the world, he went apeshit. <laughs> and he would, you know, kick people out of, of the Olympic movement, he would. So when the athletes in 68, these young African-American men in America who are very much aware, you know, we forget what, how nuts um, the kind of uh, racial politics in America were by the late 60s. 67 is the long hot summer where there were 150 race riots. And I mean, the whole country was at, so here we have these guys who are very uh, politically aware also happen to be the greatest sprinters in the world, about to go on a world stage, and they feel compelled to do something or say something. And yet, if they do that, they are up against what, you know, uh, a, a, a principle of amateur athletics at that time, which is you're not allowed to ever speak to what's going on in the games, in the, in the, in the broader world. And then they get to Mexico City, and the, you know, the thing that we've forgotten this now, but. 10 days before the games begin, there is a slot that the Mexican army slaughters all these protests, protesters in a square in central Mexico. It may have been as many as 100 people um, killed in that, in that. It's unclear how many were. So like the whole, everyone is aware that like this world is kind of going nuts. Mm -hmm. And these guys feel they have to do something about it. And this that's sort of the story we're telling in the podcast. When you said that, you know, as a diehard track fan, you only knew 10% of the story. Like, what is out there? Because, I mean, when we've kind of gone on runs and I've asked you about your process of writing revisionist history and how mm -hmm. you write out all the episodes, and that's the equivalent of, like, writing a book. So by the time that this, you know, series is over, is, like, the book written on, you know, the protests at the 68 Olympics, or is there still, I mean, how many hours of interviews and stuff do you have from, from this the reporting process to, to create this? Yeah. Could we do more? We could... I realize now that, you know, the, the doing Legacy of Speed has kind of um, opened me, opened so many kind of doors in my mind to other mm -hmm. things that I'd love to explore. It's pretty clear to me, for example, and we touch on this in the podcast, but you could do another whole podcast on the links between the kind of activism we're seeing today and what happened in 68. I mean, there's a kind of template that is laid down there. Um, Colin Kaepernick is... Uh, is 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 squarely in the tradition of 68. And the fact that Kaepernick um, comes along 50 years after Mexico City and essentially does what those athletes did on the stand in, in, the, in 68 and gets chased out of his sport suggests how little has movement there has been in kind of public acceptance of athletes speaking up in 50 years. I mean, it's kind of amazing. Like, what actually, what Kaepernick does is less confrontational and controversial and out there than what happened in 68. He's just taking a knee. He's not, he's not raising his fist and have a, with a black glove on it. And, it's, and even then, the entire NFL, as far as I can tell, the entire NFL culture has a collective freakout over this. So um, it's really interesting how uh, much the world of sport has kind of lagged behind in accepting the idea that athletes can be socially conscious. Listening to the Bond villain talk in, with my 2022 brain, 
I was just like, just come out and say you only want rich white people to be able to participate in sports. Yeah. Like it, it was, it was, you know, he, he said it as politically correct as he could possibly say it without saying that exact thing. And I think especially today when we talk about the opportunity and the privilege of certain athletes versus others, it was very apparent that, you know, it was racially motivated in many ways. Oh, yeah. I mean, we talk about, and in one of those episodes, I talk a little bit about how in Avery Brundage's mind, Roger Bannister was the ideal, mm -hmm. you know, the first man <laughs> to break the four-minute mile. And by the way, I'm not dissing Roger Bannister. He's a childhood hero of mine. But he's the perfect Avery Brundage athlete. So we have a privileged white uh, Englishman going to go, who's getting his medical degree at Oxford, who runs on his lunch hour, and who, you know, graciously and brilliantly breaks the four-minute mile, and then bows out of the world of sports and is an a broader ambassador for the world of sports for as long as he lives, as he has a incredibly successful medical career on the side, right? That's the model. Right, that you should be a kind of fully developed gentleman who dabbles in sport and then goes on to do something of uh, of of you know greater significance in society. A lovely model, by the way, but there's just no the, the idea that we should only accept that kind of narrow definition of what an athlete's allowed to be in the world is what's so preposterous about it. And you're right, it is completely exclusive of anyone who happens not to be going to Oxford and leading this wonderful privileged life. <laughs> there was a point in one of the episodes, I think it might have been in the first or, or second one, where you talk about uh, the coach, uh, Bud. Bud Winter. Bud Winter, yeah. who the way, one of the easiest things I think he got his athletes to do was just kind of like relax. And, mm. and so I've, uh, after listening to that episode, I was like, wait, that's what Fred Curley does. Like he does, he looks the most relaxed of all the sprinters. What else have you like kind of in mm -hmm. the process of spending time with some of these all time great sprinters picked up on the sprints that maybe you didn't beforehand? I, so I did not. So Bud Winter is the coach. All of these great runners who come out of San Jose state have the same coach this guy, mm -hmm. Bud Winter, who I think it's, Pretty, who I knew nothing about. This is one of the great discoveries of doing the Legacy of Speed show. And it's pretty clear to me now that Bud Winder is one of the most important coaches of the 20th century. And what he does is he brings these ideas about relaxation, which had been developed during the Second World War, um, to help pilots deal with the stress of, of, of fighting over Germany. Um, and he brings them to sprinting and to running in general. And the basic idea was, which was at the time, now it's so obvious to us, we don't think of it as being an innovation. In the 60s and early 50s, late 50s, it was a radical notion, which was the way to compete, to extract maximum performance from, your, from the body, human body, is to relax. So is to hold back, in a certain sense, your level of effort, which is, was at the time was a deeply counterintuitive idea. So when you see Fred Curley or Usain Bolt or all these sprinters now for whom it's second nature that, you know, in, on, at the 80th meter in the 100 meters, you look, look like if you push them, they'll fall over, right? Their upper body is so composed. Their face is not in a grimace, but it's... I was watching Arian Knighton last night in the 200-meter uh, semis, and, you know, he's, he looks like he's... If you didn't know that he was going at 50 miles an hour, you would think he was just out for a... Stroll, right? That's the ideal, and that's in it. That's not the way human beings naturally sprinted. We thought you had to grimace, and but no, we. And Bud Winter's the guy who teaches the world, and really the world. He starts with his own athletes, but then he goes on a crusade around the world, and the Jamaicans are the f one of the first places who listen to him, who say that relaxation is the way to maximum performance. That's a incredibly radical idea that comes out of. There was another. <laughs> pointed an episode uh was it uh tommy smith who was i think broke a world record and you said like i would have given anything to have been in that stadium or no no so what happens is that it, tommy smith and lee evans right. two of the greatest sprinters of all time double world record holders they're on the same track team and their coach won't let them race each other which mm -hmm. i just think is nuts but he what but they managed they sneak out one day they without telling, basically without telling their coach, they sneak in a head-to-head -head race on the cinder track at San Jose State. This is like last, <laughs> did, did you, I don't know if you, you were probably traveling to Eugene, but 
we had Trayvon Bromel and Marvin Bracey here, and they uh-huh. told us that on the night out, they were talking crap to each other, like after the hundred. Yeah, they, with Fred, yeah, they all met up. It was, uh, I think, Trayvon texted Marvin and said, uh, "Fred wants to get a shot." And so they went out looking for a bar that was open. Nothing was open in Eugene, so they're just walking the street and they're recounting the races, uh, race to each other, yeah. and. Then it, it kind of they start laughing and joking, and then it almost gets to the point where they want to rematch. Shoes a foot are race kicked off in the street. Are you oh, that's yeah, so fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> could I just say, this is exact what track and field needs is like this times ten, and for one of them, to this look, camera look at this right camera. here, <laughs> you can say anything positive about Sidious Mag that you want. <laughs> they should have texted you and said, "Get over here with your phone." Let's do this right now at like whatever it was, ten thirty at night. It was, like, I think, a little later than ten thirty yeah. at night. <laughs> this is a hundred percent what we need. Like this is the spirit of this. This is the this is the absolute spirit of the sport, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like just three guys throwing it down at you know whatever it is. If even if it's one in the morning, wake up, Chris and Kyle, wake up. We're doing it. And we break the news. As if, to, yeah, yeah. as if that is the race that would count. Racing to the street post barefoot. That that but race counts. The one in the stadium doesn't. Does. That's pride. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think, um, well, well, let me just finish the, yeah, yeah. the, uh, the, so these guys basically, so Evans and, 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 and Tommy Smith sneak in a race, <laughs> like in their kind of, and like, Everyone hears about it, and like people are hanging it from the trees, and they're on the cinder track, and it's like they run something. And um, uh, Tommy Smith wins. I think actually, the case for Tommy Smith being one of the greatest sprinters of all time, now that I've done this, is getting stronger and stronger in my mind. But it's like this epic, under the radar thing. And if I want more of that, the sport needs more of that. Like I feel like we get so caught up in the formalities of the sport that we forget that what's appealing about the sport it's, is its simplicity. It really is, let's, you know, strip down in the middle of the night and go for a race. That's what, that, that's what running's about. That's why running is not like cricket or basketball, which, or, you know, downhill skiing, which need to have all these contrivances to, to stage a competition. We don't need any contrivances. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that our sport does a poor job of, is we like to compare eras by time. Mm-hmm. And no other sport really does that. Like in basketball, you're not comparing, you know, Dr. J would get dunked on by LeBron today. You you compare people to their era a little bit more. And yeah. because we have this finite number, like that's how fast that's he ran. List. That's yeah. how fast he ran. Therefore, he is better. It's and an irrelevant. It's a way of making our history irrelevant as a sport, which is crazy. Why would we, you know, why would we do that? I totally agree. The um, second someone's time is beat, it's like, and thank you for your service. Yeah. <laughs> we will forget your name in 10 years. That's why Maurice now we Green have a is guy. knocking on our door <laughs> most days and just coming <laughs> to hang out. It's, yeah. yeah. So my, my, my follow-up to that was, been, you, you said you would have loved to have been in that stadium. What are some other moments in track and field history that you would, like, maybe give me, like, a top other two um, that, that you would have loved to have been in the stadium for? Well, there has to have been, I don't know which one I would like to have gone to, but there has to have been uh, a champs, you know, the big Jamaican mm. yes. uh, track and field. I, that, I think we need that's to on our bucket yeah. list. There's yeah. got to have been, but I'd like to have gone back. Let's go back through the last 30 years of champs. There has to have been one that was epic. I mean, there's more than one that was epic. But I would like to have been at the, where everybody was there, right? Where the young Johan Blake is running against the young Usain, whatever it is, whatever the kind of lineup is. There was that or the, you know, to see Shelly M. Fraser Price at 13. Yeah. You know, what, you know, what was, you know, that is that something I'd definitely love to have have done and seen. Um, Some, there's got to have been an epic cross country race in England in the seventies where everyone from that era when English middle distance running was off the charts where everybody's in the same race. That would be amazing. And they're all slogging through mud and, it's raining and cold, like just a real English, like, mm-hmm. and to go to the pub afterwards and get a pint with, you know, the 21 year old Steve Ovad and the, you know, the 23 year old Brendan Foster, that would have been 
Sounds like we need to bring them to the Morton games. Yeah, you got to come us. to the Morton games with us. They have the, with, on 200 meters, they have their clubhouse with like an old Irish pub. You know, it's in Dublin. Uh-huh. And uh, immediately after the race, everyone filters up too, to the top. So. And it's uh, the Clonliffe Harriers is the oldest club, like in Dublin, where all the great yeah. Irish and the, the all the old paraphernalia on the wall. It's not like it's really oh, cool. that sounds amazing. But, uh, so, yeah. all right, so cross country, um, I'm, you know, Kipchoge is very good at running. And he decided that he's going to go back to Berlin and not go to the New York City Marathon this fall. Yeah. And, you know, he's ducking it's, you. it's the, well, I don't know. We'll see if I get a bib. Um, and so, you know, Wait, you're going to run the, I'm contemplating just for fun. I'm trying to get Mac to do it with me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so he, he wants to go break the world record again. But, you know, there's also this prospect of him having six world marathon majors. And, you know, he's slowly yeah. getting He's still the best, but he's slowly getting up there in age. And so the opportunities are dwindling. But Berlin's fast and New York is hilly. So he, he's going to go back to Berlin. And, you know, I think there's and I, you know, compared to your bicycle take, not that hot of a take. But like to speak anything negative of Kipchoge seems crazy. But on my in my head, it's like you got to do New York and win these things. And so I was looking through his you know just list of accomplishments and something that was absent was a world cross title you know he mm-hmm. he i think got one as a junior but world cross at yeah. one point in history was a huge huge and race and, and you know that's that bekele's accomplishment and when we're talking about why maybe bekele might be the best distance runner of all time which is still a discussion for mm-hmm. sure of, of who it would be World Cross and his performance is there. There's a lot of medals. Yeah. A lot. And so I guess I'm just curious, your your thoughts of where cross country yeah. and World Cross maybe specifically, now at 2026 it's going to be in the U.S. in Tallahassee. Where does that fit in everything when we're analyzing who the best of all time is? Well, I've, so I have strong feelings about this. <laughs> I um, One is te- our model here should be tennis. Um World Cross shouldn't move around every year. There should be like two cross country majors and they should be in exactly the same place. One should be muddy and cold (laughs) and like whatever. And one should be, you know, dry and warm and hot. And we should be familiar with the courses. They should be, it should be like, you know, Wimbledon. This is the thing about tennis. Tennis, which by the way, it, it, it kind of boggles the mind that tennis commands as large an audience as it does for its majors because and here I'm maybe this is another incendiary take you know it's these these matches last like at the pro level like five hours yeah. I mean it's just ridiculous how long and it's just guys serving over and over again at each other and people whiffing that's essentially tennis why do they have these extraordinarily why are they so successful as a spectator sport because there's a mythology around each of the majors Wimbledon is an event, right? You know when it is, you know what it's like, you know what's distinctive about it, you know how it differs from the French or the U.S. Open. You know, the crowds at the U.S. Open are a special thing that make the game kind of worth it. We need to build that kind of mythology around cross-country. It, it could work, you know, particularly in an age where you can make a televised version of a cross-country race come alive now. You can have drones that are flying over the court. There's a million things you can do to make it a, an immersive spectator experience. So I think there's that. And secondly, I think that the team portion in cross country is way, way underplayed. It really should be about who wins the team and not who wins the individual. And that the teams should be really large. You know, this is another one of my hobby horses. Yeah, you're, you're listening you're to Rich Roll. Yeah. yeah and you emailed me about this. <laughs> yes. yeah. The teams should be minimum in world cross minimum 10 but i would be happy with 20 runners per team and your score is just the combined times of your 20 runners so what we're really interested in is can you go 20 deep so sounds expensive okay expensive (laughs) compared to what you know when because because i i really feel like a, a 20 team world cross country 20 deep team cross country thing brings japan into the into the mix it makes you passionately interested in your team depth. It means you care really who your 18th and 19th and 20th runners are. I mean, it's super interesting. It drive it will drive participation in the sport, and it changes the mentality. We're not done with the race once the winner crosses the line. This is the craziest thing about about running. It's like we have a system where 
we have 100 people competing in World Cross Country, and the minute the top three people uh, finish, we're done. We no longer care. Who, who does this? What sport consigns 97% of the participants to oblivion once the top three people finish, right? Mm -hmm. If you do a proper team thing, you should be as interested in uh, the 100th person crossing the line as you were in the first. You know what sport you'd love? <laughs> Cycling. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do, they do do a good, they do, on this, in this one minor respect, they do do a good job, despite the absurdity of every other aspect of, of their sport. Oh, I don't know. Have you ever been to like the Great Edinburgh cross races? So something that Europe does much, much better yeah. than the U.S. is the looped courses. Yes. Because from a spectator's perspective, in the U.S., if you're going to go watch a 10K, you run an 8K. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, like just try if you want to actually watch any of the race. And so yeah. in Europe, you know, oftentimes it's a, a 2K loop. And Edinburgh, if you've never been to the city I've in general, which I'm sure you've been, but... An amazing city. I was lucky enough to run across there. Actually, a mixed gender four by one k cross country race. Yeah. So hardly your your normal <laughs> race, but um, you know, watching like Garrett Heath and you know take down the likes of Mo Farah. Wait, that's the one I watched on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's well, so, <laughs> at, you know, he took he took down Mo multiple times in, at the peak of Mo, and yeah. that's like kind of the beautiful thing about cross is it's yeah. it's a it's an equalizer in a way, and you have those upsets. But Garrett actually um, was visiting me, and he stayed over one night, and a buddy of mine who hadn't known Garrett was there, but had obviously watched Garrett race, and so we uh, cracked open a, a few beers and a bottle of whiskey, and we made Garrett watch the race with us, mm -hmm. and just commentate yeah. <laughs> everything that was happening and going through his mind and whatnot. And I thought it was like the coolest way to relive the race because oftentimes you watch a race and then, you know, you set and forget and you don't watch it again for yeah. seven years. And yeah. so I, I, I watched that race live. I thought it was one of the coolest things. And then I, I just personally think cross country when presented properly on TV is a spectacle in much the way that we would hope like the Wimbledons and such yeah. do it. The, the, Another model for this, a really interesting one, would be the the golf model of the FedEx points. So in 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 pro golf, you have a series of events that, and your 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 how well you do in each of these events um, gives you a certain number of points. In what league? In, well, yeah, <laughs> now they're in a whole other. But then, and then there's a lot of money at stake at the end of the year for the person who has the most FedEx points. But imagine for uh, middle and long distance runners where we had. Uh, a series where you, you know you you had two cross country majors, the world championships and or Olympics, and a series of diamond league events, and then whatever other road races we want to throw in. So we put together a roster of ten events, of ten sort of semi compulsory events that are that are uh, points earning events, and the person who does the best across those ten events is the that year's you know they win some insane amount of money, they get all kinds of. That strikes me as super interesting in driving interest across the uh, across the year. I think calling it a FedEx points or something like that is probably yeah, something that yeah. the I'll tell you, USAT track doesn't do. Well, yeah. USATF has it for road racing. It's just it's not marketed uh, and it's never and it out should there. Be, but it should be. It should be. It should be integrated with cross country and track. Oh, yeah, should, yeah. You should have to do a whole range of things in order to be to to be to be crowned the king. This episode of the Sidious Mag Podcast is also presented by Hydro, a state-of-the-art rowing machine designed to transform the way you work out. Named Best Connected Rower in the Men's Health Home Gym Awards, rowing on the Hydro works out 86% of major muscle groups compared to only the 44% from cycling. That's twice the benefit in half the time. It's a perfect low-impact workout to add to your training cycle for both endurance and resistance training. I've actually seen some of the top professional marathoners using Hydro as a way to swap out their easy mile days to work up a little 20 minute sweat row. You can use a 10 minute breath row as a warm up or cool down before a big workout or tackle one of the workouts on the Hydro. I know one of the things with at home workouts is that you spend a bunch of time trying to figure out what class goes with what. Hydro provides the best full body workout. You don't have to figure out what classes to pair together. It's so much work because you're getting upper body, lower body, and core all in a single workout. Hydro's workouts are filmed live 
outdoors on waterways around the world from Boston to Seattle to Miami to London. Plus, one membership comes with unlimited profiles for the whole family. So you'll have access to live and on-demand workouts including rowing, Pilates, yoga, strength, conditioning, and more. With Hydro, you're guaranteed to get an incredible workout and experience a full body endorphin high. It's the Hydro High. Learn more at Hydro.com. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com. And for a limited time, you can use code Sidious100 for $100 off the rower, and that's stackable with any of their current offerings. Visit Hydro.com and use Sidious100. Back to the show we go. My point that I like to make all the time is we, and I, I think some of the events that are popping up now are, are brilliant. Like the stuff that Jesse Williams is doing with sound running, like if, if it wasn't for the 10Ks he was putting on, then we wouldn't have 10K fields yeah. <laughs> at the world championships. But I do think that we need to lean into the historic events a little bit more. Like we have the pen relays and I feel like, we don't appreciate it as a sport enough. It's this thing yeah. that has transcended the sport. Everyone knows what the pen relays is. And yet we're not building it up to be the Wimbledons that it should be because there's already the history involved there. And yet like we can't seem to make that the thing on the calendar that everyone circles. Yeah. Getting a pen relays wheel or watch in college is something very, very special. And the USA versus the world used to be a little bit bigger of a deal than it is now but i just think that's such a missed opportunity to let events like that not be yeah. the majors yeah, we don't i mean as a sport which is to bring us back to legacy of speed for a moment the as a sport we do us you i realize doing it that we do such an incredibly bad job of storytelling around our own history i mean that that's an insane story that's been sitting there for 50 years and it's been told in little bits and pieces, but like other sports would have been all over this kind of, um, and they, our, our instinct for, maybe it's because runners are particularly, middle and long distance runners are introverts who aren't used to mm -hmm. <laughs> banging our own drums. We're not, we don't do a good job of this kind of uh, um, storytelling. So that You'd be a Cade Flat guy, right? Like, uh, <laughs> maybe, yeah. Have you have you watched? Oh yeah, yeah. 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 The, um, well, didn't I didn't I email you about whether we could divide? Yes, yes. All right, give sporting. your give your <laughs> take on this. Well, it, it was well, it was um, it was, it was Cade, Cade and Gary Martin and Gary Martin, and whether you could divide the entire middle distance <laughs> world into the flat group and the Martin group. Um, <laughs> Who you identify with more? I'm a, I identify with Martin. Okay. Although, you Some know, vague resemblance. I, desperately, yeah. <laughs> I desperately want more Cade Flats. I love what a big talker he is. I think it's fantastic. Um, but no, like, you know, Gary Martin is like the, he's like, who doesn't want to be Gary Martin? He's like, <laughs> he's like, seems like, he seems so cool and, you know, understated. And he goes off to his prom after, you know, <laughs> breaking four What minutes. does it say about our sport <laughs> that we're like most intrigued by two high schoolers <laughs> right now? Um, well, it's good though. First of all, that's the pattern for the super successful sports. They drive interest early. When LeBron James was, James was 13, people, everyone in the world of basketball knew who he was. This is not a bad thing for us to be to start our to start building you know this is one of the things about when doing legacy of speed one of the things that so struck me was that uh tommy smith and lee evans and john carlos they had their one moment in 68 and then they were done i mean there there was no afterlife for them they had that was their that was really the only olympic games in which they were they in fact that was the only olympic games in which any of them competed then they went into oblivion partly because they were blacklisted blackballed after because of their protest but also because there was no place for runners you know you, the, if you were an amateur athlete in the 60s you couldn't afford to keep running once you left college right like that's the legacy we're struggling with we don't we've and if you have if you your heroes only have a moment that's one olympic games you're never going to have real heroes mm -hmm. right heroes there has to be this kind of which is getting very close to my other thing i want to rant about but you <laughs> you've got you're, a platform here no, yeah. longevity yes is central to building any kind of popular interest in a sport 
and we have done a bad job of rewarding the athletes who are who have real longevity in their in their careers. We're more interested in peak performance than in longevity, and that's a problem. Well, you look at the contracts that are handed out now. It's like if you run fast in high school, here is a million dollars, and then you know you make it through an Olympic cycle. Let's and we're cheering for the the young athletes so hard, and then. Finally, they get to the top and let's say like they, they win that Olympic gold. We're just and not me. We like collectively like what happens in the sport. It's almost like you then just wait for the downfall. And yeah. it's we don't appreciate when people are on the top of their game enough until it's too late. And then what ends up happening from a financial perspective is it's like your first contract is the biggest contract. And the younger you are, the more valuable you are. And then if you don't get a good contract immediately after college, then, you know, you can graduate be unsponsored for two years, do amazing, and then all of a sudden, no, you're not worth anything to anyone. That's yeah. That's why we harped so much uh, during the U.S. Championships of like, oh, it was. We were so pumped to see Evan Jager back at the top of his form because it was like we didn't appreciate like every one of those years. It was Evan was winning, Evan was winning, and we just mm -hmm. kind of like that was it. And now when we got to see him, that the steeplechase was hard for him. It was like it was tough to watch as well and so you know in the same sense uh, Emma Coburn winning 10 straight titles like that is something that like she got so emotional because you know we have to appreciate the this moment that we're in right now and so uh yeah I mean it's it's one of those things it kind of it ties into what your Nick Willis point and, and why yeah. we have to appreciate these stars more yes this is okay. what this is when I wanted to defend my comments which I took some flack um unfairly I thought um <laughs> over saying that I think that Nick Wellis belongs in the very, very um, upper echelon of Milers. And I compared him to Matt Sanchewitz, and I said, I think of him on a higher level. And the reason is, for this very, for the, because of the longevity thing, that first of all, you have someone who's broken four minutes in 20 consecutive years. That's actually an incredibly important accomplishment. More than important, it's an epic accomplishment. Secondly, he's someone who has is relevant on the world stage for, I mean, he was a threat to win every race he enters for almost 10 years, right? For Willis? Willis. Mm -hmm. More. More. Yeah. Breaks 333 times over, the, over that span. Medals in, uh, in two, two Olympic games, eight years apart. Um, <clears throat> You can argue, and I think he actually, I think he deserves the, why, if you're caught for doping, you should relinquish all of your medals. So that would make Willis the gold medal winner uh, if you, if you, if you, if you kick, eight, um, right? yeah. yeah, if you, if you kick, um, uh, Asbel Kipson. Yeah. Rob. Kiprop, Ashbel Kiprop, yeah. Ashbel Kiprop, who was, you know... He was your iPhone wallpaper for the longest time. He was my time. iPhone wallpaper. I, I think thought very highly of him. <laughs> but uh, if you get caught, I'm sorry, you relinquish your medals. So Nick has had an incredible career. We don't see it because he didn't have the one flashy world record or win the, the one flashy gold medal the way that um, Sensuous did. Not dissing Sensuous. But like you can't, someone who had one that. apex yeah. moment. <laughs> I texted Centro and I let him know you're in our house. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Himself. Someone who has one apex moment is in a, is I don't think um, ought to be in the same conversation as someone who has um, who has that kind of extraordinary long lived. Same thing with Shelly Ann Fraser Price is the greatest female sprinter of all time. Done. And you know who's really close to her? Merlin Audi. Mm -hmm. The same for the same reason. These people have been doing it year in, year out, forever. That really, in other sports, they accept this fact. If you're, if you have one great season in the NBA, you're not, you don't make the Hall of Fame, and people don't fall down in love with you. You got to do it. It's LeBron James and Kareem, and or in baseball, it's Hank Aaron, who does it for 20 consecutive years. They're the heroes. We have to adopt that same mentality if we're going to promote our sport properly. So before I respond to that and just this is not Tracksmith sponsored in any way your Nick Willis points right like yeah. you this is what you believe they oh, didn't tell you I've this always <laughs> believed this long before I was okay, okay. you know in bed with Tracksmith <laughs> <laughs> I think the problem in our sport and the reason why the longevity doesn't get as much play is because we measure it 
maybe once a year, three times out of every four years. You know, it's yeah. if it's not a world championships or if it's not the Olympics, then it doesn't mean anything. Whereas, you know, basketball players have 82 games a season to prove their longevity and, yeah. you know, those statistics to back it up. And so if you don't have gold, 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 then we don't look in between at the, the 329s and the 349s and that consistency and those diamond leagues enough mm. it's just the barometer by which we're measuring greatness is skewed so heavily in one particular performance each yeah. year that's something yeah you're right we're way too olympic focused and and that that's harming our appreciation of what's great in the sport i think did nick respond to that newsletter and say just like he hey sent thanks. more tracksmith <laughs> stuff <laughs> yeah. no, no, i did not i didn't i didn't even hear from nick i don't even know if he saw it i the uh, you know um but it, <clears throat> I feel the same way, excuse me, by the way. I, I started thinking about this because I did that um, audiobook with Paul Simon, mm -hmm. Miracle and Wonder, and I became convinced that Paul Simon was underrated as a musician because he's the, Paul Simon, if you'll forgive this analogy, he's the Nick Willis of popular music. He's right? going to love that. <laughs> he's, 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 he's the guy who broke, breaks four minutes every year for 20 years. He's musically relevant in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and aughts. Beyonce, too. Yeah. <laughs> name, you cannot name another popular musician who is musically relevant in that many decades. It, it's impossible. No one else is. Everyone else is. Everyone else, he has, it, like, challengers come up against him in each one of those decades, and then they fade away, and they spend the rest of their career, you know, performing the music that they, that they created over a three-year span. Simon can legit do a conference, a, 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 um, a concert where he plays music from five different decades and you're into all of that music. Right? That's, That's a mental thing and, you know, the ability to bounce back after a hit. Like when you win the race that no one was expecting you, it is tough to, to follow it up. Yeah. And I think certain people are, you know, programmed in such a way that maybe their highs and lows aren't quite as high. And this is just emotionally speaking. And, you know, that manifests itself physically. And, you know, there's probably something about Nick. And if you've ever had a conversation with him, you see how even keeled he is. And yeah. his highs and lows, he he can take a punch. And, he, you know, he doesn't celebrate too hard ever. And yeah. I, that's probably, you know, that emotional IQ is probably yeah. why. Yeah. I was reading his tweet last night after... Jake Whiteman wins the 1500 meters. It was such classic. I've never met Nick Mills, let's be clear, but oh, I, really? <laughs> yeah, I am. But he was just, it was such a classic Nick Willis take because it was like basically he was celebrating Jake Whiteman for running a Nick Willis kind of race, right? He ran the smartest, calmest. He stuck on the, you know, was on the rail for as long as possible, made one definitive move, sneaks by. I mean, it was like, it was, but it was, that's, you know, that's one, it was one kind of runner recognizing another in, uh, in that moment. Yeah, he does a great job of that. I mean, Nick was, I think, trying to do some more YouTube, and I was like, you need to do more of this. And Just like the race breakdowns. The race breakdowns, he's brilliant for that's that. That's something kind of the sport is missing, and it's something that we would, I know. Mac and I last night sat here immediately after the races, and we watched the race, and we just broke it down. We're, but we don't have rights, obviously, to be able to show the race and draw the X's and O's on the screen. But that's something that every other sport has. And I know mm -hmm. that we're, and I actually spoke to Ashton Eaton yesterday and with Intel, he was working on like the, the heat map of the different speeds that athletes are running and they're showing it on TV and you're seeing this stuff, but now it's like, we need analysis of those data points and mm -hmm. we're showing like the different miles per hour and you know, it's, but like now we got to kick it to the analysts to, to show why it's impressive. I always think the shot put, it's like, why are we not drawing the angles on screen, like with a yeah. marker? And like, let me know how high that got. Was that too high? I, I think the the shot put they say is like never. Apparently, it's like impossible to throw twenty four meters. Just the 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 angles that are necessary and the velocity, it would never happen. The height by which you'd have to throw, and so. And that's also a huge difference between the athletes, the way Kovacs throws versus the way Krauser throws, just in terms of the speed and the launch angle are completely different. And as we've said, it's a simple sport, but that doesn't mean there's not also complicated things going on. And we spend so much time breaking mm -hmm. down the simple side of things when really I think we should let it be simple, at, you know, on screen and let it speak for itself. And then afterwards, so people can appreciate it, show why what happened, happened yeah well i mean it's hard in that tv window but then at the same time it's like we're 
we shouldn't be preceded by seven hours of Law and Order SVU on when we're on CNBC or, or USA. I think one you can dedicate an hour or two for a pre or post game show. We're trying to you know fill that void a little bit, but again, we don't have the rights to do that kind of stuff. And so the, yeah. the marathon is the obvious place to do it because you have so much time, and it would be really interesting to have. I'm not the first person to think about this. You know, if all of the marathon marathoners were or at least the were tricked at were were equipped with the, sen- the full range of sensors, and we were seeing in real time what their sort of physiological breakdown was. That would add so much to our understanding of the drama of like there's a moment in the men's marathon here where Cam Levin's fellow Canadian, um, former guest, on former guest, on yeah, yeah, where Cam, you know, there's a I've forgotten how many miles are left where there's that lead group of four. It was 10K to go, I think. 10K yeah. to go. And you could just see that, like, I was, trying to, I, was trying to, I was trying to answer the question, is he hanging on or is he in it? And the answer is he was in it. He wasn't hanging on. But how great would it have been to see all of the physiological breakdown to let us know, okay, so who's suffering at this moment? Who's overcoming their suffering? And, like, how, I mean, I just, it just would have, it would have added immeasurably to the storytelling Mm-hmm. of that event it's got to be a percentage of what your max heart rate is i think yes. like that's the way to do because yeah. obviously yeah, oh he's running at 170 and he's running at 180 well what does that mean so yeah. the idea that it's almost like an hp bar it's like they are running at 99 percent, <laughs> and like they've been in that zone for two minutes it's impossible to be in that zone for yeah. three minutes like yeah because i mean like it, right heart rate is not totally indicative of it because molly seidel posted her strava da- uh, data from uh, the tokyo olympics and her heart rate was like almost i think maybe close to 200 i think during the final mile when she knew she was gonna get a medal and i was like geez like if we would have had that data it would have been insane to follow or even the moment that uh the woman ahead of her drops out and you realize that like does that cause a spike or anything like that yeah or yesterday in the 400 meter hurdles yeah when karsten how do you pronounce his last name when he just suddenly hits a wall man we could have can you imagine if we'd seen the data on that because it's it was like was one hurdle, and all of a sudden he was just like he was done. And then you got Trevor Bassett just going yeah, at yeah, that's right. <laughs> two hundred the entire time. Yeah. So Malcolm, I mean, uh, what else are you looking forward to while you're out here in Eugene on, on the track? You get to see two days uh, of competition. I'm see two days. I'm gonna see the two. I'm gonna see the two hundred meter final. Okay. Oof. That's gonna be that the 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 build up for that has been. Um, Would you epic. say <laughs> no, uh, men's or women's? Both, uh, I guess. Both, but yeah. the men's is the one that. Although the women's, I mean, I mean, I'm even more as much interested in the women's as I am. I was going to say the men's is a litmus test as well. The the Aryan versus Noah, like who, you know, what like, camp yeah. are you in? Uh, but so first on the women's side, have you ever seen Shellyanne run in person? No. So that's, that's going to be. be so this is this is my you know because I have my as we t- talked earlier I have my multiple. Um, ethnic I- and and uh, national identities, so I get to be a Canadian, an Englishman, or a Jamaican, depending on the setting. So I'm going to be I'm going to be for the women's 200. I'm I'm basically going to be wearing Jamaican colors and in, in tracksmith. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then I get to you know. But when you know when Andre de Grasse won the 200 meters at the Olympics, I was that was I was like, and also when Cam Levins was running, I was like Canadian. I'm like all talk yeah. of Jamaica was was banished in that moment. So yeah, I had to toggle back and forth between various. Do you ever go Team USA? No, I'm not even a citizen, <laughs> so I'm not. No, 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 I'm not doing that. So in the men's race, I mean, are you a bigger fan of Arian Knighton or, or Noah Lyles? Lyles is the showman. Knighton's like you the... You might be a Fonboulet guy. Oh, you might be a it's guy. He's <laughs> definitely a Joe Fonboulet guy. It is, I actually, I hadn't thought about that. I've been thinking a lot about... I just... Something tells me that... Am I wrong? I think this is Lyles all the way. I just I, think that... I might, be, I might be biased because I spent three days with Aaron Knighton in Tampa. I don't think it's all the way. I mean, I, I definitely think it's said, possible. In the post-race, Knighton says, when they ask him, how hard were you going? And he says 70%. That was the only moment when I was like, wait a minute. Was he really coasting his way to a 19-7? Was it a 19-7? Yeah, yeah. Or was, that, or was he just saying that to get it? No, a lot. Everyone always has a different you know, measurement system in that. It's like, <laughs> what's the pain on 1 to 10? And it's like, I don't know. <laughs> You know, I'm still here, so I guess it's not a 10. So, you yeah. know, 70% for him might not be our 70%. But Lyles, I just feel like Lyles is, right now, I mean, he's just, this is about as impressive a sprinter's moment as I've seen since. He's so confident. Uh, since Usain Bolt, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, that's the race where, I've, 
it's a possible U.S. sweep, I think. Really good chance of that. Yeah, because uh, yeah. Kung Fu Kenny looks great, too. Yeah. And the men's 5K is the other great remaining race. I mean, that's going to be epic. When someone's, I think, previously asked you, I don't know if it was when we did a podcast years ago or if you've gone on one of these other shows, that's your favorite event just because what it's like the beating of a drum. Is that how you describe it? Yeah, I just, I just think you have time to get into it. You get the fifteen hundred is fantastic, but it's over so quickly that, you know, you don't even have time to get nervous. Whereas in the five k, I get nervous when I'm watching an elite five five k. You know, it's like, you know, it's just is so tense, and you're just waiting for, and there can be multiple moves, and I don't know, it's, it, there's there's something that's so dramatic about, um, you know, thirteen minutes. Awesome. Well, Malcolm, we appreciate you taking the time for this. People can listen to Legacy of Speed on all the podcast players. I was just asking him before we started recording. I was like, uh, I know he's a big NBA podcast guy, but where does the City of Smack podcast fit into mm. his rotation? And he said there's a window right now for uh, no, this is no the track window. That does it for another episode of the City of Smack podcast. We'll bring you another interview from our City of Smack live show soon. Thanks again for listening and supporting all of our work during the World Athletics Championships. We're eager to keep the momentum going and share more stories around the athletes and people that make this sport the best. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to contribute to the show, back us on Patreon.org or send over any tip or one-time donation to Sidious Mag on Venmo. You guys are all the best. You're all the best. Thanks for listening. I'm Chris Chavez. See you next time.